You're listening to Pioneering Personal Finance featuring Robert Zizzo. Do you have questions regarding tax planning and tax preparation? You'll find the answers here. Do you have questions about financial planning? You'll find the answers here as well. And now, here are your co-hosts, Kevin Zucker and Robert Zizzo. Welcome back to Pioneering Personal Finance. I'm Kevin Sucre, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Robert Zizzo. Hey, Kevin. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Doing great. Thanks. You enjoying the wonderful weather that we're experiencing here in southern Wisconsin? I'm glad to be back to Wisconsin. I was just down in Boca, Florida, and it was 95 degrees and humid down there, so just walking outside was overwhelming. So this morning, um, definitely felt good to be back in Wisconsin. That summer heat in Florida is something to write a book about. It is, <laughs> it's amazing, right? Uh, it's amazing because I heard a lot of people actually travel to Florida in the summer and I don't understand it. I understand the snowbirding in the winter. Sure. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I, I, I had, uh, I'd spent some time uh, down in Florida during the summer months as well. And I just remember thinking, holy cow, it takes a special thought process to even visit that time of year, let alone live in Florida. Although, you know, people probably say the same about us in the winters here in Wisconsin. That is correct. And we have to be careful about what we complain about because I found myself complaining about the weather that we had mid-April this year with the extra snow that we just happened to get. And, you know, I found myself a couple of times this summer thinking how warm and hot it was. And I said, ah, be careful what you complain about. Well, that's funny because I have a story. And when you guys had that April snowstorm, I was sitting on the tarmac at Milwaukee's airport heading to Florida <laughs> during that storm. Oh, my gosh. And Actually, the plane wasn't de-iced. They went to get more de-icing fluid. They broke the key in the lock. And so we actually sat in the airplane for four hours before we took off. So you got to take in a little bit of the sights from inside the (laughs) aircraft, right? Correct. (laughs) Well, Rob, please tell us what we're talking about today. Today's topic, first of all, is how our investments taxed. And I'm sure uh, there's a wide range of how they're taxed, but why don't you give us an overview of what this topic actually means and what we're going to touch on? All right. Sounds good. So in general, you know, there's several different categories of investments and they're taxed differently. And in a sense, there's different phases. So let me just summarize the different categories of investments. You have 401ks and IRAs. So again, one's with an employer, one's privately, but they're taxed the same. You have now Roth. Roth 401ks and Roth IRAs, which are taxed differently. And then you have your non-IRA accounts or taxable accounts, brokerage accounts, mutual funds, bank accounts, things like that. There are specific uh, products called annuities that if they're not in an IRA, a non-qualified annuity is taxed differently. And then some people actually even use permanent life insurance as an investment. So those are the five different categories. And then typically when we look at an investment, because we're using these as tools to accumulate for the future. And in retirement, if we fill up these different buckets, it's going to give us a lot of flexibility of controlling our retirement. So we kind of think about four different phases that an investment is going to go in. The first phase is the contribution when we're putting money in. And most investments, you put in an after-tax dollar. In other words, we don't get a tax break. Your employer plans, the 401ks, 
or traditional IRAs, we get to put in pre-tax. Mm -hmm. And then the next phase is what I call accumulation, while the account's just sitting out there, not taking money out, but just accumulating for the future. Most categories are tax deferred, but some year to year, we have to pay taxes on gains or dividends, capital gains, things like that. Okay. Then we move to the distribution phase. So ultimately we build up our nest egg in any of those categories. And now what happens as we take money out? Is it going to be taxed? Is it not taxed? Does it affect other things? And then the final category I look at is what I call the transfer or the estate phase. Once you've gone through retirement, now what? how is that asset taxed as you're trying to pass it on to the next generation? First your spouse maybe, and then your kids or charities, things like that. Awesome, thank you for that. You're listening to Pioneering Personal Finance featuring Robert Zizzo. All of your financial questions answered here in one place. Hello, caller. Hi, my name is Colleen. How are you today? Hi, Colleen. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for your podcast. I have just a a question for you. I'm hoping you can help me to uh, understand a little bit more about. We would love to help you. Robert Zizzo is here right now. What's your question? Okay. Um... I'd like to know a little bit more about what a backdoor Roth IRA is. I've heard about it, and I'd like to know a little more. Well, that's a great question, Colleen, and thank you for calling in and asking that. Um, So what happens is uh, uh, in a Roth IRA, clients have the opportunity to contribute, but sometimes their income is too high where they're not eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA. And so therefore, it's very odd to me that the IRS does allow us still an opportunity, regardless of income, to contribute first to a traditional IRA. And that at certain income levels will be an after-tax contribution. They would not be eligible to deduct it. And immediately then we can convert that money from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA at no tax. So in a sense, a backdoor Roth IRA, which there was just an IRS ruling this year that this is a legitimate investment strategy. Um, The backdoor Roth IRA allows people at higher income through a two-step process, immediately contributing to an IRA and then converting your assets over to a Roth IRA. That is what we call a backdoor Roth contribution. Now, one thing you have to be aware of in doing that is making sure that you do not have other traditional IRA accounts because if you're going to contribute, let's say $6,000 into a traditional IRA and then immediately convert the $6,000 to a Roth, that works fine. But if you have another $100,000 traditional IRA, then we need to aggregate the $6,000 contribution with the existing $100,000 account, and it may not be a simple tax-free conversion of the Roth. There you go, Colleen. Okay, great. Thank you for the explanation. I appreciate it. We appreciate your call. Thanks for calling. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Pioneering Personal Finance featuring Robert Zizzo. You know, I have a question and I've been sitting here for a couple of weeks trying to, you know, shake my head and say, yeah, so I understand a little bit. But I, I, you know, please forgive me if this is just a very elementary question. And I'm sure some of our listeners might have the same question. But what is the difference between an IRA and a Roth IRA? 
That's a very good question, and it's funny because Roth IRAs have been out there for a long time, and yet people don't understand. And I'm just going to broaden it a little bit because now, in a sense, a 401k is like a traditional IRA, and there are Roth 401ks, which is like a Roth IRA. So in those two categories, what happens is if you're contributing to a traditional IRA, you're putting money in pre-tax. It's going to grow tax-deferred. There's penalties if you take it out prior to 59 and a half. When you do take the money out, it's subject to income taxes, okay? And then when you leave that asset to your heirs, typically you can stretch that account, meaning it can stay in that tax-deferred status, but in retirement, starting at 70 and a half, you're required to take distributions, and as you pass that to the heirs, they're required to take distributions. Okay. And so, really, a Roth is almost backwards on the tax side. A Roth, you put in the money after tax, so you don't get the upfront deduction, but it grows tax-deferred. Then when you take the money out, it's tax-free, especially after 59 and a half. Gotcha. The cool thing about a Roth IRA is because you're contributing after tax, it actually builds up a lot of liquidity. So let's say you put $5,000 a year in for four years into a traditional IRA. You invested 20000 but if you try to take any money out, you're going to pay taxes and penalties if you're under 59 and a half. Ah. If you contributed, let's say, 5000 a year for four years to a Roth IRA, you can actually pull the $20,000 out, no taxes, no penalties at any age. And so a Roth gives a lot of flexibility for pre-retirement planning. Sure. In addition to when you go to distribute money out of a Roth in retirement, it's tax-free. And as it goes to the next generation, you can stretch that account, but it does require distributions at 70 and a half, or it does not require distributions at 70 and a half for the owner, which is significant sure. over a traditional IRA. But as you hand it off to the next generation, then they're required to take distributions, but they're tax-free distributions. So to summarize it, a traditional IRA, you're avoiding taxes on what you put in, mm-hmm. and then you're taxed on everything that comes out. In a Roth IRA, you're avoiding taxes on, or you're paying taxes on what went in, but then it's tax-free for the rest of your life. And you have the flexibility to take it as needed. Correct. Now, you might have answered my question, my next question, in the end of that question, but, uh, and I'm sure that there are a lot of variables as to why I'm leading to this next question, but is, is one better than the other? In general, I'm a big fan of Roth IRAs. Okay. I think they provide a lot of flexibility. Sure. Okay. But again, I would not be recommending to a younger person contributing to a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA until they're taking advantage of their 401k at work because maybe there's a match. But in general, the Roth IRA, because in a sense, do you, you know, we'll do an analogy of a farmer. Do you want to pay taxes on the seeds you put in the ground or do you want to pay taxes? on the crop you harvest. So let's just say over a you know, 40-year time horizon, you might contribute $10,000 into a Roth IRA. That was not tax deductible. But if that $10,000 over a period of time grows to $20,000 or $30,000, and even that in the concept of retirement, you're not going to pull all of it out at once. You're going to take distributions. So you may end up building up $30,000, taking $50,000 off of it over a 20-year retirement, and still have something left. 
So it makes a lot of sense to sometimes pay the taxes up front. Here's one for you. At what age should somebody start a Roth? Well, I can take my daughter, Olivia. She actually had her picture taken for Huggies and had earned income. Okay. And so at age one and a half, she put $5,000 into a Roth IRA. So that might be an age. Wow, that's okay. great. Now let's back up, and I'm kind of being facetious about that whole thing. In reality, in order to contribute to a traditional IRA or Roth IRA, you have to have earned income. Okay. So the moment you have earned income, especially young people, I love funding a Roth IRA because I know for a young person, they're not necessarily thinking about retirement. Along right. the way, maybe there's college, maybe there's a first home purchase. You know, a lot of things are going to happen happen before age 60. So having that liquidity in the Roth is a great place for younger people to start as soon as they have earned income. Okay, here's another question for you. So we're rapid fire question moment right now. 401ks also include Roths sometimes. Is it best that people choose to put their after tax monies as part of the Roth? Or split it 50-50 with traditional pre-tax contribution? Well, once a person's mainstreaming, you know, their accumulation phase, really we start to do some projections. And I don't necessarily think that a traditional IRA or Roth IRA is better. But what we need to do is look at where a person is today and where they're going to be later and ultimately make a decision on which area to contribute. Most young people getting started in the workforce because they have a long time horizon. And typically when they're starting earning income, they're in a lower tax bracket. I'd be a huge fan of contributing to the Roth and the employer match into your 401k is always going to be pre-tax. So if you contribute post-tax to the Roth and your employer is contributing pre-tax to their match, now you're accumulating in both categories. On the flip side, I had a person walk into the office and he was all gung-ho about Roth IRAs and he was already 55. And so I started to look at a situation. He was in a high tax bracket. He was a couple of years away from retirement. And in his situation, I was a massive advocate of him putting away pre-tax dollars today to reduce his overall income because those monies later would actually be tax-free for him not because the category is tax-free, but in his tax situation, modest distributions off of a taxable account for him would not be taxable. You know, it hammers the point home that every situation is different. And that's why it's important to come in and speak to someone like you, Mr. Zizzo. Like, you know, you, you're able to analyze everybody's unique situation at different stages of their lives and different financial uh, situations that they might be in. And you're able to advise what the best thing to do is for any given situation. So people, if you're listening, please take a moment to, to check out FocusTaxSolutions.com. You can learn more about what Rob's business does here. And if you have any questions, you can always contact us directly through the website. How would tax planning incorporate both personal Roth IRAs and 401k Roth IRA strategies? Well, typically, you know, I do recommend people do an outside Roth. That's typically what builds up that liquidity because somebody, yes, you can contribute to Roth 401ks, but while you're affiliated with that employer, you can't take out the early distributions like a private Roth. So that gives us some flexibility. Um, But again, for each person's situation, you said it well, it's really a matter of analyzing where a person is now age-wise, how far are we away from retirement? Do 
we have money in these multiple buckets? And now what we look at is making sure we're putting away the quantity of money we need in order to hit their overall goal in the future. And then we're looking way in advance to be prepared proactively on where they're accumulating, how that's going to affect them in retirement, um, because we want to see people pay the lowest amount of taxes over their lifetime, Mm -hmm. which sometimes means choosing these after-tax contributions up front. You know, and and I love this because I'm a technology geek, but I love how the experience that you have, uh, you also use the technology to enter in a whole bunch of criteria to determine and look at a bunch of different outcomes that are the potential of where you choose to do what you do. That's why what you do is really cool to me. You're you're not just throwing darts at a wall saying this is probably the best. You I'm sure you have your instincts as far as what you know your experience has taught you for the decades that you've been doing this, but you're also using state-of-the-art technology to help you make these decisions and smart choices effectively. Absolutely. And when I interact with a client, ultimately I'm providing them options. And you know, some person doesn't automatically say, Wow, Rob, I see this. Right. And so over a period of time, I see what's the ideal situation. And but I'll communicate options. Hey, let's do this in this amount. Next year, let's look at this and this amount. But ultimately it's that interaction with the client where we determine what they're willing to do right. this year um, in order to better their situation. And I'm always flexible because we have time to gr- overall improve a person's situation. It's not at one immediate, we have to do something. There's always flexibility between categories. You're listening to Pioneering Personal Finance featuring Robert Zizzo. All of your financial questions answered here in one place. So is a Roth IRA ever taxed? Well, the gains from a Roth IRA could be taxed. And this is where sometimes people make mistakes. As I mentioned before, if you contribute $5,000 into a Roth IRA, that's in a sense your basis, and it was after tax. So in a contributory Roth, you can take that money out at any time, no taxes, any penalties. Let's say three years from now, you put in the 5,000 and nothing else, it grew to 6,000, and you're under age 59 and a half, now that $1,000 of gain, if you withdraw that, would be subject to taxes. Oh, interesting. Just the, just the gain. Just the gain. Not the principal. Correct. Interesting. Okay. What happens if I sell my home? Well, that's a good question. If it's your primary residence, um, under the new tax law, it hasn't changed what Clinton approved several years ago, which is your primary residence, as long as you've lived there for two years, mm-hmm. a married couple can exclude $500,000 of gain, and it's not taxable. A single person can exclude 250000 of gain. But again, that's specific to that, it needed to be your primary residence for two years, and there's income limits. So if you have a million dollars of gain, you will pay capital gains on the extra 500,000 above the exclusion. Although, unless we're living in some remote area, we haven't seen that level of appreciation in real estate. Okay. Is social security taxed? Well, we talked about that exclusively in a prior program. We certainly did. Um, And so someone could go back to that podcast and listen. But in, in a sense, social security by itself, 
itself on a tax return is not taxable. And therefore, it makes sense for people to delay that accumulation. But the distributions that occur from maybe capital gains, maybe IRA and 401k distributions can quickly make Social Security taxable. And that's actually what I call one of those cliff taxes, mm -hmm. where we go from a relatively low tax situation to exponentially paying a much higher marginal tax rate. So in planning around Social Security, there's a lot to do with how the other distributions are going to make Social Security taxed. And is it true that we have about a seven-year window before we reach those cliff taxes? Not exactly. Okay. Let's back that yes. up. We have a seven-year window of opportunity because right now we're in lower tax rates. Right. Okay. And so there's a window of opportunity for planning, but in the seven years for yourself, will you be drawing Social Security in the next seven years? No. Then therefore it won't be taxed. There you go. Okay. I gotcha. So, but there's a window of opportunity of using these investment tools during this seven year window to maybe move assets from one category to another. So later on, you're avoiding taxes. Got it. I receive a pension. Will that be taxed? Typically. And now you're seeing, you know, a lot of pensions have gone away historically. And a lot of times when you retire, you're given options on your pension to either receive that income over your lifetime or a joint lifetime with your spouse. And yes, typically a pension will be taxable and it will affect Social Security from being taxable. Okay. When a person has an option for pensions, sometimes they have an option to do a lump sum distribution. Right. And if so, then that asset will move from the pension category to a traditional IRA. And from that, again, still would be taxable, but it would give you flexibility as an asset to move it over a period of time to different categories and maybe you know do some tax planning with it. But often a pension is a great opportunity for people and it is taxable and it will effect if social security is taxed. I have a question about if is life insurance an investment? For some people, you know, if you look at term insurance, okay. um, again, for the survivor, it's a heck of an investment. You know, you might be paying $10 a month for $250,000 of life insurance. Right. And if you have an unfortunate accident or something, now your spouse is getting $250,000 for your $10 a month premium, right. that was an investment. Mm -hmm. But again, life insurance generally is a protection, right. but there are permanent life insurance policies that accumulate a cash value in them. They could have tax advantages, and it's a great way to transfer wealth from one generation to the next generation. Very interesting. I have one last question for you today. Sure. What is a Roth conversion, and should I do one? Well, that's a great question. Um, a there's two ways of funding a Roth IRA. Number one, if you have earned income, you okay. can do a contributory Roth. And again, the limits are $6,500 per year per person. Okay. Some people, if they have a higher income, are not eligible to do the Roth contribution. Okay, mm -hmm. But interesting enough, everyone is allowed to do a Roth conversion. So what that means is, let's say you've accumulated money in a 401k or a traditional IRA, regardless of income, you can choose to pay taxes on your traditional IRA, okay. and you can choose how much you move, 
and move it from the IRA to the Roth IRA. So once you pay taxes on a traditional IRA, move it to the Roth IRA, it's taxed this year okay. in the Roth IRA. Now it grows forever tax-free. So a Roth conversion is moving existing IRA assets where a contributory Roth is, again, just funding your Roth each year. You know, as as I sit here and learn every couple weeks with you, you really have a, a very... Uh, inviting way to explaining these things that are very foreign, I know, to me, and I, I hope to some of our listeners that have questions and are, are intimidated by some of these concepts, IRAs, Roth IRAs, you know, cliff taxes. It, you know, for someone who doesn't live in that world, you really have a, a, a very unique way of explaining it where it makes sense to me. So thank you for explaining today's episode on how investments are taxed. Uh, if you have any questions, you can always find us at focustaxsolutions.com. And please subscribe to our podcast at Apple Music and at Spotify and any digital aggregator that hosts podcasts. You will find us there at Pioneering Personal Finance featuring Robert Sizzo. Thank you again for another wonderful episode, sir. Well, thank you, Kevin. It was a pleasure. Securities offered through Security Service Network, LLC. Member FINRA, SIPC. Fee-based advisory services offered through SSN Advisory Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Thank you for listening to Pioneering Personal Finance featuring Robert Zizzo. Tax planning, tax preparation, and financial planning all in one place. You don't just have to listen. You can participate in each episode. Follow us on Facebook at Focused Tax Solutions to find out when to call in and chat with a financial professional.